0: Peace be upon you and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we are going to look at this week's Torah Parsha. And uh, it's a very, very interesting one. It also contains one of the greatest tragedies in the Torah, in my opinion. We have this incident with Moses. Uh, where he makes a poor decision, uh, which on the surface seems like a very minor offense, and yet it cost him and Aaron uh, the privilege to enter into the Promised Land where he's been leading the Israelites for the last 40 years. It's also the death of Miriam, his sister. Very tragic. And then we have an issue where... The Israelites are being sinful and fiery serpents come and bite them. And Moses makes this serpent of copper or serpent of brass. And there's that whole thing and we'll talk about that. It's a long portion and hopefully we can get through it all. I don't know. I'll say this though before I start. Something that needs and deserves a good study is Miriam herself. Who is extremely important, um, and in this very beginning passages is important, but I feel is overlooked and underappreciated for who she was. So, let me start by giving you the portion summary. The name of the portion for this week is Chakat, and Hakat is the 39th reading from the Torah. The word Chakat means statute. The name is derived from the second verse of the reading, the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded. Numbers 19.2 A cut presents a mysterious law of the red heifer ceremony for purification after contact with human death. This reading also contains the story of Moses striking the rock, the stories of the death of Aaron and Miriam, and the wars with the Amorites. The portion concludes with the host of Israel encamping on the edge the promised land. So, we got a lot to get through. Hopefully we have time to get through it all. Uh, no promises. Uh, we'll see how it goes. The very first section, or first chapter really, uh, is just dealing with this ceremony of the red heifer, and then it gets into some of this more interesting uh, topics. So, I'm going to read from the Hallelujah Scriptures. Let's begin. Numbers, chapter 19. Verse one. And Jehovah spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying, This is the law of the Torah, which Jehovah has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer, a perfect one, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the Kohen, that is to say priest, And he shall bring it outside the camp, and shall slaughter it before him. And Eleazar the Kohen shall take some of its blood with his finger, and sprinkle some of its blood seven times toward the front of the tent of appointment. And the heifer shall be burned before his eyes. He burns its hide, and its flesh, and its blood, and its dung. And the Kohen shall take cedarwood, and hyssop, and scarlet, and throw them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. And the Kohen shall wash his garments, and shall bathe his body in water, and afterward come into the camp. But the Kohen is unclean until evening, and he who is burning it washes his garments in water, and shall bathe his body in water, and is unclean until evening. And a clean man shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and shall place them outside the camp in a clean place and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Yisrael. For the water for uncleanliness, it is for cleansing from sin. And he who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his garments, and is unclean until evening, and it shall be a law forever to the children of Yisrael, and to the stranger who sojourns in their midst. He who touches the dead of a human being is unclean for seven days he is to cleanse himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day he is clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day, then on the seventh day he is not clean. Anyone who touches the dead of a human being and does not cleanse himself defiles the Mishkan of Yehovah, and that being shall be cut off from Yisrael. He is unclean for the water of uncleanliness, was not sprinkled on him, his uncleanliness is still upon him. This is the Torah when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent, and all who are in the tent are unclean for seven days, and every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Any one in the open field who touches someone slain by a sword or who has died a bone of a man or a grave is unclean for seven days. And for the unclean being, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for cleansing of sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. And a clean man shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, and shall sprinkle it on the tent, and on all the vessels, and on all the beings who are there, or on the one who touched a bone, or the slain, or the dead, or a grave. And the clean one shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day, and on the seventh day, And on the seventh day he shall cleanse himself, and shall wash his garments, and bathe in water, and shall be clean in the evening. But the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that being shall be cut off from among the assembly, because he has defiled the Mishkin of Jehovah. Water for uncleanliness has not been sprinkled on him, he is unclean. And it should be a law for them forever. And the one who sprinkles the water for uncleanliness washes his garments. And the one who touches the water for uncleanliness is unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean being touches is unclean. And the being who touches it is unclean until evening. Alright, so that was chapter 19. Now we're going to get into chapter 20, which starts this story of the waters of Mirabah. So open up your hearts, because there's a little bit here that you kind of have to think through. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have all the answers, uh, but I'm going to give you some things to consider. So let's begin. Chapter 20. And the children of Israel, all the congregation, came into the wilderness of Sten in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled against Moshe and against Aaron and the people contended with Moshe and spoke saying if only we had died when our brothers died before Jehovah why have you brought up the assembly of Jehovah into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here and why have you brought us up out of Mitzrayim, that is to say Egypt, to bring us up to this evil place, not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates and there is no water to drink. And then Moshe and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of appointment, and they fell on their faces. And the esteem of Jehovah appeared to them, and Jehovah spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the rod. And assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and you shall speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give its water. And you shall say, Bring water for them out of the rock, and give it to drink to the congregation and their livestock. And Moshe took the rod from before Jehovah as he commanded him, and Moshe and Aaron assembled the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moshe lifted his hands, and he struck the rock twice with his rod. And much water came out, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But Jehovah spoke to Moshe and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to gedosh me in their eyes, that is to say, to hollow me in their eyes, of the children of Yisrael. Therefore you do not bring this assembly into the land which I Given them. These were the waters of Mirabah because the children of Yisrael contended with Jehovah and he was Kadesh among them. All right, let's stop there and let's have a conversation. So many things to point out. Number one, this story begins with letting us know that Miriam has died. It's also important to note a couple of things. Number one, this is not the first incident where they've run out of water and they come against Moses. This is the third time. What's interesting is the very first time Miriam is also involved. Let's go to Exodus 15 chapters 20 through 27. Here's what's happening. And Miriam, the prophetess, by the way, she's the first woman to ever be identified as a prophetess by the scriptures. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. And the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam said, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. And the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. This is right after the whole Red Sea incident. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went out three days in the wilderness, and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which they had cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in His sight, and will give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elon, and there was twelve wells of water, and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. So, if you remember, the story: the water was bitter. It couldn't be drank he throws this tree in there after God tells him to do that and the water becomes sweet and it's drinkable so Miriam's involved we have the song of Miriam at the beginning of that story and what's interesting is Miriam's name in Hebrew if you remove all the vowel points that were added later and you just take the original Hebrew Miriam also means bitter Now it actually has several meanings three really important meanings but what's interesting is this story we have bitter water Miriam's involved and her name means bitter the second story uh, just to give you some context and to kind of empathize with Moses in Exodus chapter 17 just five verses real quick and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the Lord and pitched in Raphadim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore, do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore, hast thou brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and the cattle with thirst? Sound familiar to what we just read? Both this time and the time that we're reading right now in Numbers, they instantly go back to, Our lives were better when we were in Egypt. Why did you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall we do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now listen to what God tells him. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith I smote the river, take it in the hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Hirab, and thou shalt smite the rock, and then water will come out and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So the last time that this happened, God told Moses to hit the rock and water came out. So now let's get back to our story. We have the death of Miriam. Remember I told you that her name means several things. One of them being bitter, which went with that first story. One of her other names means Rebel. Notice what Moses says before he hits the rock. Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock. Now, I would argue that this is the exact same rock that he hit the first time. And Jewish tradition holds that when Miriam died, that well that was coming out of that rock also stopped. Stopped whether that's true or not. I can't say. That's just a tradition. But God doesn't tell him to hit it this time, does he? He says, take your rod, you and your brother Aaron, and you shall speak to the rock, not a rock, the rock, meaning the one that you already know about. You shall speak to it before their eyes, And it shall give water. And it shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their livestock. Then, of course, Moses strikes it twice. He doesn't speak to it. And we might say to ourselves, what's the big deal? Like, how is this worthy? How is this little mistake, this man who's done everything God's asked him to do, who's put up with these Israelites, these stiff-necked people... Who have tempted the Lord over and over and over. He's interceded for them over and over and over. Forty years he's been at this. And now you're telling me that he can't enter the promised land because instead of speaking to the rock, he hid it. What is the big deal? And I don't have like a perfect answer for all that other than to say that there's something about what's at stake. When we think about God's punishments, sometimes for certain sins and then how he just, it's light against other things, I think the punishment, because God is just, is in light of the cost of that sin. You know, the outcome of that. God wants Moses to speak to the rock, not just hit it. Listen, if we're out in the wilderness... And we're having some faith issues, right? We're struggling with faith, we're, done. we're super thirsty. We're like starting to long for Egypt. And we go to a rock and you hit it with a stone and hit it with a stick and water comes out. I might be tempted to think, well, there was probably water in there, and when you hit the rock, it you know, you just kind of made a crack or something, and the water poured out. But if you walked up to the rock and you just said, in the name of Jehovah, provide water, and then it splits by itself and water comes out of it, that's going to have a way different impact on me as an Israelite watching Moses do this. That's going to really be important to my faith and in my belief. Wow, I just watched this miracle. You see the difference? You see what's at stake? What's at stake is not just, ah, oh, you disobeyed me. Now here's your punishment. It's it's about a bigger thing than just Moses. It's about the faith of the people of Israel who are getting ready to go into the promised land. That's what I think that's about. that's why I think the punishment's so grave. All right, we're running out of time let's be let's continue on because we got have no, we have another very important story to get to once we get through this so let's continue on but Moshe but Jehovah spoke to Moshe and to Aaron because you did not believe me to kodesh me in the eyes of the children of Israel. in other words to hollow me to set me apart in their eyes you did your own thing therefore you do not bring this assembly into the land which I gave to them verse 13 these were the waters of Mirabah, because the children of Israel contended with Jehovah and he was Kadesh among them And Moshe sent messengers from Kadesh to the sovereigns of Edom. This is what your brothers Yisrael said. You know all the hardships that have befallen us. That our fathers went down to Mitzrayim, that is to say Egypt, and we went down to Mitzrayim a long time. And the Mitzrayim did evil to us and to our fathers we cried out to Jehovah, and he heard our voice, and he sent the messengers and brought us up out of Mitzrayim, and see, we are Kadesh in a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass over through your land, and we shall not pass over through your fields or your vineyards, nor drink water from your wells. We shall go along the sovereign's highway, and we shall not turn aside, right or left, until we have passed over your border. But Edom said to him, You do not pass over through me, lest I will come against you, with the sword. And the children of Israel said to him, "We shall go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I shall pay you for it. Let me only pass over on foot without a word." But he said, "You do not pass over." And Edom came out against him with many men and with a strong hand. So when Edom refused to let Israel pass over through his border, Israel turned away from him. And the children of Israel all the company departed from Kadesh and came to Mount Or and Jehovah spoke to Moshe and to Aaron in Mount Hor, near the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron is to be gathered to his people, for he has not entered the lamb for he will not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel because you rebelled against me, my mouth rebelled against my mouth at the water of Mirabah. So please note it's not just Moses. Now Aaron doesn't Aaron gets to die too, before going into the promised land and he's telling Aaron it's your time now come up to Mount Or (laughs) try to imagine this verse 25 take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Or and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son for Aaron is to be gathered to his people and die there and Moshe did as Jehovah commanded and they went up to Mount Hor before the eyes of the congregation and Moses stripped Aaron and his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain and Moshe and Eleazar came down from the mountain and when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead all the house of Yisrael wept for Aaron 30 days. Now please note Imagine your Moses you made this mistake and hit the rock now Aaron's got to die. He's not allowed to enter in. Miriam had previously died, whose name means rebel. And God says, because you have rebelled against me. And yet, Moses is still faithful. By the way, this, this Christian notion, which is complete absurdity, That God never gives you more than you can handle is a lie. God absolutely gives you more than you can handle. On purpose. Why? So that you're forced to depend upon him instead of yourself. There's so many of these little cliche Christian sayings that just irritate me. And one of them that's coming to mind right now is God never gives you more than you can handle. You've seen those memes. I just want to go on. Actually, he does. This is a cute little meme, but it's not accurate. Anyway, that's a side argument. Let me move on here. Chapter 21. Uh, Hopefully we can get through this in just a few minutes. So I might be reading a little bit faster, but we have an important story to get to. And the sovereigns of Arad, the Canaanites who dwelt in Negev, heard that Yisrael was coming on the way to Athrim. And he fought against Yisrael and took some of them captive. And then Yisrael made a vow to Jehovah and said, If you deliver this people into my hand indeed, then I shall put their cities under the ban. And Jehovah listened to the voices of Yisrael and he gave up the Canaanites and they put them in their cities under the ban. And the name of the place was called Horch. It's called Hormah. And they departed from Mount Kor and by the way of the Sea of the Reeds to go around the land of Edom. But the being of the people grew impatient because of the way. And the people spoke against Elohim and against Moshe. Why have you brought us up out of Mitzrium to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our being loathes the light bread. So please note. Try to understand God's frustration. How many times has he heard these people speak against him saying, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Why'd you rescue us? Why'd you give us a, a, you know, why'd you set us apart for yourself? We were better off in Egypt. How many times has he heard this? He's, He's had it with this. Verse 6, And Yehovah sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. By the way, it's, we're not going to spend time baiting on this, but I think it's interesting that it's not just serpents. Fiery serpents. Nakash. Verse 7, Then the people came to Moshe and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against Jehovah and against you Pray to Jehovah to take away the serpents from us So Moshe prayed on behalf of the people And Jehovah said to Moshe Make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten When he looks at it shall live So Moshe made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole And it came to be if a serpent had bit anyone When he looked at the bronze serpent he lived Please note couple of things that are interesting. This may not mean anything to you, but I'm just going to point it out. Number one, they're being bit by fiery serpents. They acknowledge their sin before Yehovah. Moshe goes to Jehovah, prays on their behalf, and he says, here's the solution. I want you to make a fiery serpent. And when they look at it, they'll be healed. He doesn't tell Moses what to make it out of. He doesn't say make it out of wood, make it out of rock, make it out of bronze. He just says make it. Moses chooses to make it out of copper or brass. Most translations say brass. It really should say copper. Both work. Here's what's interesting because we've been talking about the Hebrew language a little bit. The Hebrew word for serpent, the one used for these fiery serpents, is nachash. The word for brass is, nahashet. So, in Hebrew, it says, ha, nahash, nahashet. The serpent of brass or the serpent of copper. Why did Moses choose to make it out of a material that is, in the Hebrew language, almost the exact same word? It's literally one, one letter different. We have nahash, nahashet. I don't know. I'm just saying. Think about these things. The Hebrew language, when we're dealing with God's word, was so intentional, and the Holy Spirit's fingerprints are all over it. Just like Mitzri, this like Miriam. She's doing the the Song of Miriam and the Bitter Water. Her name means bitter, and the bitter waters turn to sweet water. And then her name also means rebel, and she dies, and the people rebel and Moses even says you rebels and God says because Moses you rebelled against it's all intentional it's all on purpose Moses doesn't just make a serpent out of wood he makes a nakash out of nakashet copper or brass Ha nakash nakashet wild Furthermore, why does looking at this copper serpent heal them? I would argue that it's simply a faith thing. Again, it's all about faith. Even going back to the very beginning, we're reading the Torah right now, and we just think about faith as being a Christian concept. No, this is how God has always dealt with humanity. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What did Jesus say about that copper serpent? If you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying, that was a foreshadow. It was a foreshadow to me. Then they looked to the serpent. Now you look to me on the cross. Alright, running out of time. I've said that enough times also. Let's finish this chapter. He made a fiery serpent, he put it on the pole, so that who, anyone who was bitten when they looked at it shall live. So Moshe made a bronze serpent. Nakash, Nakashet. And he put it on a pole when it came to be, if a serpent had bitten anyone. When they looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And the children of Israel departed and camped in Obath. And they parted from Obath and camped in Laili, Ha-Avrim, in the wilderness which is east of Moab towards the sunrise. From there they departed and camped in the Wadi Zered. From there they departed and camped on the other side of Aran, of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for Ar- Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said that the book of the battles of Jehovah. Wahab and Safra, the wadi Arnon, and a slope of wadi that turns aside to the dwelling of Ar, and lies on the border of Moab, and from there on the Beir which is the well where Jehovah said to Moshe, "Gather the people and let me give them water." And Yisrael then sang this song: "Spring up, O well." Sing to it a well the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug by hackling with their slaves. Then from the wilderness on to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bath Bamath, and from Bamath in the valley that is in the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. And Yisrael sent messengers to Sahan, Sovereign of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land, and we shall not turn off into the fields or vineyards, and we shall not drink the water of the wells, but go by the Sovereign's highway until we have passed over your border. Basalhan would not allow Yisrael to pass through his border. So Hanan gathered all the people against together and went out against Yisrael and in the wilderness, and he came to Yahats and fought against Yisrael. And Yisrael smote him with the edge of the sword and took possession of the land from Aran to Yabok, as far as the children of Ammon. and for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. And Israel took all these cities, and Yisrael dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites and Hashban and all of its villages, for Hashban was the city of Sachan and the sovereign of the Amorites, who had fought against the former sovereigns of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. That is why those who speak in the Proverbs say, Come to Hashban, let the city of Sachan be built and established. For fire went out from Hashban, the flame of the city of Sachan, It consumed Ar, Moab, the master of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Kamash! He has given his sons as fugitives and the daughters into captivity to Sahan, the sovereigns of the Amorites. Then we shot them Hashaban, has perished as far as Dedan, and we laid waste as Nophah, which reaches Mo'yebdabah. So Yisrael dwelt in the land of the Amorites, and Moshe sent a spy out to Yazar, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. And turned and went up by the way to Bashan, Og, sovereign of Bashan, went out against him, and he and all of his people in the battle to battle at Edri. And Jehovah said to Moshe, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all the people in his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sahan, sovereign of the Amorites who dwelt in Hashban. And they smote him and his sons and all of his people until no remnant was left to him. And they took possession of his land. And the children of Israel departed and camped on the desert plains of Moab beyond the Yarden of Jericho. And that is the end of our portion for this morning. I just pray that your hearts have been pierced this morning, that this has given you a, a hunger to know more, to dig deeper, To have a more intimate and deeper relationship with God and with His Son, Jesus. I want to thank all of you who pray for the podcast, who support the podcast. Patreon subscribers, thank you so much. Those who support through PayPal and through the mail. It's uh, much appreciated and far beyond what I deserve. Thanks for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.